Today we're wrapping up uh, this little series we've been in, a real mini-series called Called to Community. We're going to be diving more deeply into Ephesians chapter 4. So we hit it a little bit last week. We're going to dive more deeply today to wrap it up. So if you've got your own copies of the scriptures, I would encourage you to have those out. We're going to be jumping around a little bit, so having that in front of you could be uh, helpful today. So if you've got, uh, if you have a smartphone and don't have a Bible with you and you want to follow along, there's a free uh, app called YouVersion, Y-O-U version that's excellent, has a ton of... Uh, free translations on there. That would be a a decent one to download and you can have it in front of you. Uh, It's also going to be up on the screen. Uh, So let's see here. Uh, Today uh, in Ephesians 4, we're going to start in verse 11. And this is God's grand version for the church. So Paul is speaking to a church in Ephesus, uh, encouraging them, giving them some vision. So let's go ahead and jump right in on verse 11. But today, as you do, will you stand with me? We'll uh, uh, honor God's word and kind of get our uh, whole bodies involved here for just a little bit. All right, so Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Why? To do the ministry? Hmm. To equip his people for the work of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming instead Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. And I love this last sentence. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All right, will you remain standing? We'll pray. Uh, Jesus, as I read that, even though I've been preparing, I'm preaching, that's just such a a powerful picture of what church could be and what it seems like you've got in mind. Lord, we want that. So Lord, please continue to grow that in our church. Help us to keep taking steps individually and as a church so that we can be that and do that for others. And I pray this morning, as we're all here and we're standing, whatever things that we're bringing in, each one here and online, I pray that you would... Uh, help us to feel your presence there, even with the distractions or the fears or the anxieties, whatever we're bringing in. Lord, please be present with us. And I pray that you would use where we're coming in today as a stepping stone to engaging with you this morning through your word. Thank you for your care and that you have time. Amen. All right, you can sit. So again, this grand vision of the church It's a pretty awesome picture, and it kind of builds on the picture that Ben uh, Deaver preached about last week from Acts 2, fills in some of the gaps, and uh, it's a pretty vivid picture of what church could be, and uh, when it builds itself up in love and everyone's doing the work of ministry. So uh, last week, Ben introduced two models of church, and I think these are helpful to kind of re-hit. So uh, what might be called the traditional or the institutional model of church See if you've ever been a part of a church like this or seen it in a movie. Essentially, the normal folks, the laity, are sitting back down here in rows, and you come and attend and receive from the ministers, the clergy, who are there between God and you, and they give you the God stuff, and you receive it. 
One of the major limitations of this, maybe you've experienced it, is boredom. Oh, it's fun for a little while when the band's on and maybe they've got a motorcycle up here. When you've got a really gifted preacher and you're just feeling it, they're playing your favorite song. But it gets boring to just come to a thing and attend. Have you ever been bored in church? Did I hear someone say no? That's probably a lie. (laughs) We've all been bored at church. Uh, Spectators laying around trying to find the best bang for our buck. And we do like we do at Target or at Amazon. It's easy in church today, especially if it's organized in this way, to go try to find the best church for you. To try to find the one that has the best programs for you and your kids. Again, not all bad, at the lowest cost to you maybe financially or time, if you can just come and attend and get fed and go home, that's great. And eventually, you stay infants, like a little infant that comes to its mother primarily for milk. And then takes a little poo and goes to sleep and repeats. God's got so much more for us. It's okay to start there, but he has so much more for us. God's vision for the church is something more like this. It's much more chaotic, perhaps, but it's alive and vibrant. Yes, Christ is the head. He's connected to the church. He is the head of the body. That is it. The church is his body. And everyone is in there doing stuff. Yes, there's still leaders who are doing things, but everyone else is a minister. The leaders are helping everyone else minister, and the connections are all over the place. And sometimes you can't fully tell who's the leader and who's not. You can't fully tell exactly what's going on at all times because everyone is doing the work of ministry. This is a healthy church that builds itself up in love, where each part is honored and specialized and released and supported to do their part. And the goal here is not attendance, right? Attendance, at least you can start that way, but that's not the goal. The attendance is growth so that the body can welcome others and grow and build itself up in love, right? Are you seeing this? I'm kind of like circling around this. I want you guys to see. Without Christ, this won't happen. So let's look. Paul continues on. Verse 17. So I tell you this, Paul, and I insist, I insist on this in the Lord. He's wanting to make sure we really get this. This is from God too. That you, church, you must no longer live as the Gentiles in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them. Due to the hardening of their hearts, they've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality and indulge every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. Now, Paul's not necessarily dogging on Gentiles. Now, Gentiles in this context are people who don't know and follow the God of the Bible. He's not necessarily dogging on Gentiles. He's trying to show the contrast. He's saying, without God, this is all you got. If you don't have a God that takes care of you where you find yourself complete and uh, anchored and alive and connected, you have to take care of yourself, right? That is what you have to do. You look anywhere you can find life. And since according to God, and according to my own experience as well, there actually is no other source of real life that satisfies. You get cotton candy, and it looks good. It looks like it's going to fill you up, but it tastes in the mouth, and then turns into air, and there's no nutrition for your stomach. We just keep going for the cotton candy. 
There's no sustenance for our souls. And so we get confused looking here and there for life that we can't find. And our thinking becomes darkened, pursuing sources of life that do not actually exist. God describes this in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah. Speaking through his prophet, God tells his people, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, the only one that's out there. And right beside me, they have dug their own cisterns. You know what a cistern is? You dig a ditch, dig a pit in the ground and try to fill it up with rainwater so you can drink. But they're broken cisterns, and they can't hold water. So that is you. This is you. It's me. Apart from a trusting dependence on Jesus Christ for your life, that's all you got. Digging in the sand for water that slips through the cracks faster than you can get it. So pause and consider question right now. And I'm going to spend a hair more time giving, giving you time to think about this. You might take out pen and paper if you've got a journal or open an apps or a notes app on your phone. Where are you digging for life these days? Where are you digging for life these days? We all do it. It's still our default. And even those in Christ find ourselves going back here over and over and we have to choose not to. But where are you looking for life these days? Is it pleasure, success, maybe at work or at school, distractions, you're living for the next Netflix show or the next uh, uh, Mandalorian season three, I'm excited for that. Maybe it's romantic relationships, respect from others, or any of these feeling like they connect. Maybe it's the right political stance or the little zip and zing you get from this uh, social media connection or online news. If I could just have more of this, I'd be happy. What are you looking to? Where are you digging for life these days? Frequently, uh, the last few weeks, months, I've caught myself kind of halfway bent down with the door open to the fridge, and I'm looking. But I don't know what for. I just stand there. And uh, I've caught myself, and this probably isn't true for everyone, but I've actually caught myself at times uh, opening the, at the fridge and realizing I'm just standing there, and I, there, I almost sense a voice, Dave, what are you looking for? And I, my, I feel like maybe it's my soul, or that I, I recognize... And in the moment, the answer comes to me, comfort. I'm looking for comfort. For me, historically, uh, I've looked to food to cope with negative emotions. So I was looking for comfort. Where have you been looking for life these days? We all do it. Let's continue on and round out, which is my favorite part of this passage. Starting in verse 20. Paul says, that... However, is not the life you all learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance to the truth with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. It's deceitful. It's futile. There's actually nothing there. Put off your old self and be made new in the attitude of your mind and put on the new self 
created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, you must each put off falsehood. And here it's not specifically talking about like telling lies, but being false, not bringing the real you. Put away falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Why? Because we're all members of one body. So let's put away falsehood. Put off and put on. So yeah, put off your old. Put on the new. Put off. Put on. Put off the old way of life where you used to make life work apart from God. Put on the new life that God has given you in Christ where you actually get to trust and rely on God and he provides for you. And you live out of that place. Put on your new identity that God is giving you. Put off these old behaviors you used to live in, right? Before Christ and after Christ, but the way of life that you had before Christ. These behaviors sometimes can be, you know, very obvious sin patterns, stuff on the surface that it's easy to see, stuff you might naturally think of in the list of, you know, sins that you've put up. So uh, things like sexual sins, right? Maybe that's what the behavior that you've been looking to. Any sort of sexual activity outside the bounds of biblical marriage, which is one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime, that could be... uh, hookups, extramarital sex, pornography, the list can go on. Maybe that's where you've been looking for life. Old self can sure look like that. Maybe it's substance addictions, alcohol, coke, meth, prescription prescription drugs. Maybe it's abusing others in some way, lying, being greedy, prideful. Old self can have a lot of obvious contours, right? And there's those big behaviors those will really hinder your ability to live out of the new self. They're going to really trip you up, right? And it's going to really hinder your ability to be healthfully in community. And there's times where that's the first step. So we're not, we don't want to be primarily or only about behavior management, behavior modification in the gospel, but that's a big part of it oftentimes to start because you can't get to the lower stuff, the deeper stuff, until some of this stuff uh, gets removed. So, but I want you to see that there's, there's always something more under the surface. What's driving the behaviors? That's the real stuff, the real work that needs to happen. That's the real strongholds of your old self that God is lovingly trying to help you heal so that you can put off even that and put on the new in the deep places of your heart. We all develop these false selves from childhood. We talked a little bit about this a couple weeks ago when I preached. We were talking about uh, the masks we tend to put on God because of our experiences growing up with our own parents or our caregivers. We put a mask on God thinking that God is just like my parents. Or God is just like this major leader in my life, right? We also put masks on ourselves. So we talked a lot about that masks we tend to put on These false selves develop early in life, strategies that we learn to make life work, oftentimes in difficult situations. And in a way, think about this one, tell me what you think. In a way, I think these strategies to make life work, to cope when you're a young kid, they were necessary to get you through. And so as we move into the new self, I think we can look at the old self and have at least an aspect of compassion, I think even for a time, God allowed and even gave you those ways to make life work when you had nothing else. But then as you grow up, as you begin to mature, 
and become an adult, those don't work anymore. They actually cause havoc in your life and havoc in other people's lives. And so he is lovingly, God is loving you, trying to call you out of this old self where you can live and experience and walk in freedom, right? So we, it, maybe it's helpful for you to see that you don't have to completely hate your old self. There's something there that can be blessed, perhaps, as you move on. These, uh, these false selves run amok as we grow up. What, what do you think are, might be some of the contours of your false self? Is it maybe being performance-driven? Like, I feel like in order to get love and acceptance, again, that's ultimately what we all come into the world trying to find. Maybe you felt like you had to perform. If I perform, I'll get love and acceptance. We bring that into adulthood. Is it self-sufficiency? You feel like you can't rely on anyone? And so ultimately, whether you're with people or not, you keep others at a distance because I got to take care of myself. Is it people-pleasing? I'm going to get life and happiness and connection and love and acceptance by just making other people happy? Man, I can resonate with that one. Or maybe it's being invisible. The need to be right, the need to be best, the need to be most. All of these things take the deeper work to heal. These take the deeper work to be healed. Because what was broken in relationship has to be healed in relationship. It takes community to heal. It takes community. One of the main missions of the church, in fact, is to help people heal in relationships built on and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. Another book in the Bible, James, another church leader writes to another church. In James 5.16, he says, Therefore, in light of this kind of stuff, you should confess your sins to one another and pray for each other. Why? So that God will accept you? So you can be forgiven? No. So that you can be healed. We need the context of community to experience healing. God's vision for Christian community is to be a place where we can learn to put off and to put on together. Because what was broken in relationship, even in distant relationships, most all of our significant deep hurts and pains and strategies that make, to make life work, they come from some sort of relational dysfunction with others. What was broken in relationship has to be healed in relationship. I hate to tell it to you, but attending church on Sunday mornings probably won't be enough. Attendance isn't going to be enough. God's calling you to find your true self in community because he knows how life works. Only then will you have the ability to actually not just heal for yourself, but to be able to put on the new self so that you can help build up the body in love as each does their part. And that's not just encouraging fellow believers. That's also welcoming others. That's showing the world what it's like when Christ's love holds you and when you get in community and you practice that with each other, even imperfectly, this is ultimately an outward-facing thing so that the body can build itself up in love. You're called to find yourself in community. Let that sit in. Oh, yeah. All right. So in community, we kind of have an opportunity to have a mirror held up to us, a mirror, because you can't usually see yourself very well. You can see some things, 
But really, you have to have others show you what's glaringly obvious to them, but you almost never see fully yourself, right? Isn't it so true that you come into group and you can find that person who's the weirdo or the person who always talks or the person who always over-spiritualizes or whatever the thing, you can always point those people out and you can see the contours of their false selves playing out, right? Raise your hand if you have no idea what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Chances are you are that person. For other people, other people can see the contours of your stuff, but you don't see it. So we need loving community to help us to have a mirror held up to us, not just so that we can see our false self, but so that we can see our true self and be encouraged to step into that. Community functions for both. Because ultimately, we need others to remind us who we are in Christ. And so the, the ultimate other, the primary other who tells us who we are is God. He's the one that we are, are looking to for our ultimate referential point. We can't do it on our own. We have to have someone tell us who we are. God tells us who we are. And he does that primarily and generally, generally through his word. He has not left us silent and alone. He has given us his word that is jam-packed with messages about who you really are both the good and the bad, but it ends with the good. He tells us through his word, and he confirms it through the, worst, uh, through the word of his spirit in your heart, and he uh, confirms it through the way other people treat you. Um, on everyone's chair, you should have found one of these little bookmarky tiny, time, uh, type, type of third sheet things. If you're at home and you're watching online, uh, we'll, uh, we'll put this on uh, when we post this on our website. But, uh, this is a list of 50 who I am in Christ statements that come from Scripture. These are truths about who you are in Christ. Ben Deaver came up with this a while back. Maybe he got it from someone else, but this is pretty good. I keep one of these on my desk and in my little journal. And this is often a great uh, little, uh, little tool uh, when I don't know what I should pray for or when I'm in a quiet time or something like that. Sometimes when I'm really feeling down on myself. I'd encourage you to take that home and uh, maybe uh, protect it, value it more than you would a handout at church. Maybe you put it on your fridge. You stuff it in that little holder that holds a toilet paper where you spend a good bit of your time. You put it in a little Ziploc bag and stick it in the shower. Put this somewhere. We need the truth that God has revealed about who we are in Scripture. We need it. We need it. We need it. These truths include things like if you're in Christ, you are chosen. You are chosen. You are wanted in Christ. You are his beloved child now. You are no longer the orphan you used to feel like you were who had to take care of himself, take care of herself on the streets, as it were, having to protect and provide for yourself. That is not who you are anymore. You have been adopted and brought into the palace and he loves you. You're wanted you're forgiven of all your sins, past, present, and future. Some of you guys need to hear that right now. Past, present, and future so that you are actually secure in Christ. His forgiveness is strong enough to hold you forever. Oh, man. You are immensely valuable. You are worthy of love. Not because of something you did but because of who you are in Christ and because he loves you. 
and even says, you are delighted in by the God of the universe. The God of the universe that created black holes and stars and knit together the earth. The one who figured out how to do everything. The one who is great and high and lifted up and who is surrounded by multitudes of angels and who has all the power. I'm thinking about Aladdin right now. You know, phenomenal cosmic power. Not an itty-bitty living space though, right? Unless you're talking about your heart. Oh, that one just came up on the fly. He lives in your heart. That God delights his, his face lights up and he dances and sings over his delight for you. It's hard for me to picture that sometimes. Having kids has helped a little bit. I delight over my kids like that, especially when they're cute, <laughs> cuddly, and they're not pooping. You are now a royal priesthood. You have purpose and mission. Your life is not a mistake. You have a purpose. You are an ambassador for Christ in the world. You are strategically and specifically and uniquely gifted and made to reflect who God is to the world. Do you know that? You are uniquely made and gifted to reflect a part of God to the world, to show others something about what he's like and to build up the body of Christ. We may know these things. Oh, well, these things, but these things. We may know these things from the Bible. You must. This is the foundation. But if you're like me, and maybe you've experienced this, a lot of times knowing doesn't go far enough to put it in my heart. These things are usually experienced through community. When we see other people treating us this way. Yes, we may know this, And in a way, this is sufficient to know who God says you are. But to really experience it, to start to put off and to put on, we have to experience other people in a prolonged and genuine way, treating us the way that God says that we are. We must experience God's love through his body, building us up in love. We need community to experience and to let it really sink into our hearts who God says we are to experience the affirming and acceptance of others. We are loved by God, but we really get it. We really feel it when we're loved by others who follow him. All right? Starting to get where I'm going? It's both and. So how does this play out in community as we kind of head towards the end here? How does this play out? As you may have experienced, being a part of a large church gathering has value. We do this on Sunday mornings, For a purpose, there's some things that we really uh, value about this time together that we can't get other places. But to have this real engagement where it's small enough that everyone gets involved, where you can actually get to know each other one-on-one and to begin to see the contours both of the old and the new self, places where you can experience serving and uh, giving and receiving love, those have to take places in smaller contexts of community. Maybe it's in a small group, which at our church can be anywhere from 10 to 20 people. I've experienced a lot of that through small group. Maybe it's in an even smaller group of two, three, four, five, where you really get in and you begin to explore and share and encourage one another. Maybe it's in a more traditional discipling, mentoring relationship where you meet one-on-one or two-on-one with someone and you really get in there and you talk about God and you talk about one another and you experience the life of Christ together but it has to go smaller for this to really work. You have to be in relationships. Um, And in these contexts, 
oftentimes it's not the one-off comments that really sit. Although every so often the Lord is in that and something really sticks. But really, it's often more caught than taught. Have any of you guys ever experienced that, right? If you're a a part of a a, a community and you know who you are in Christ, you know all these things, but it's experiencing it, right, in smaller community and smaller connections where it really starts to sink in. Where you show them that they're lovable, right? Where they show you that you're lovable, right? They, They value you and you value them. You cared for by being the hands and feet and others being the hands and feet of God to you over the months, over the years, and through the big stuff like cancer and divorce and the small stuff like being invited over for coffee and a walk. Over time, you experience the love of God through community, smaller contexts of community. We find ourselves in community as others love and speak truth to us as we do it to others. So I'm intentionally, perhaps over much, circling that drain a little bit here. We've got to do that in community. We've got to give and receive so that we can put off and put on, so that we can take off the old self. It takes time. It takes so much time. It takes so much time. It's not just a, hey, I believe in Jesus now, and so all of my old patterns are gone. There's a sense in which when you come to Christ, you are put into Christ. And before him, you are secure forever. That is right. But your patterns of living, the things that operate below the surface, almost never do those just poof away. It's a process called sanctification, the becoming that God is working. And God is working. And it takes time. And for whatever reason, God has chosen to make it work that way. And my guess is it's not a mistake. God has purpose even in the time, even in the slow process of becoming. It takes time. It takes relationships. This is ultimately how we will know who we are. So that the body of Christ, joined and built together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. As every part does its work. And this is what I long for for you. Many of you are also, are, have experienced parts of this. I've experienced parts of this, some better, some worse. The unfortunate but reality is that this is, th- these things are the ideal church communities. And a lot of times we can get a lot of this going in, in our experience. I've experienced a lot of this, but I've also experienced things that weren't that great in church. There are things that militate against, push against, make this difficult. And oftentimes our experience in community is some of this and sometimes not. But I think that Paul is not mis- be, uh, having, there's, he's not by mistake calling a church to something it can't do. I think God is doing this because he knows we can grow in this. And I firmly believe that that is where our church is and is heading. And I think you want to be a part of it. Maybe it's, maybe it's not through our church, another church, great. The body of Christ, this is what God's call is on your life and what he wants you to experience. That's what we're going for. What's your next step? Uh, Given a little bit, uh, pulling back the veil a little bit on my heart. I grew up, throw up a picture here, as a pastor's kid, uh, born in Beaufort, South Carolina, raised, on the, raised in the Carolinas. Uh, I, I grew up in a loving Christian home. I did. 
This is me, as best as I can tell, uh, with my mom's uh, choir book or something like that. I'm singing at the top of my lungs to a tape in a uh, Fisher Fisher Price kind of tan tape player. Anyone ever have one of those? You have to be old. Uh, A tape, for those of you who are young, a tape is kind of like a box version of Spotify. But you didn't have as many songs, and you had to actually put it in another box and press a button, and then magnets would come together, and it would make a song. Right? Anyone else remember this? It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I love this stuff. I was always at church. I was always at church, and I loved it. I have great memories of being in church late with my dad on Saturday nights running through the halls of being at potlucks where uh, there was always a large woman that would envelop me in her chest and just give me a hug. That was my growing up years. That happened like 30 times a week. I felt loved at church. Felt loved. But like all of us, I also grew up in a world that wasn't quite what I was made for. And so I had to figure out how to, how to make it through difficult things like pain and loneliness and sadness and anxiety. I developed a false self, just like you did. I developed a false self. And it happened fairly early on, probably not too long after this picture. I developed a false self. And it worked, at least for a little while, kind of. I compensated with, uh, uh, from this kind of deep sense I ended up getting this feeling. One of the main contours of my false self is that I'm afraid that if people knew the real me, you wouldn't want me. I don't know exactly where I got that from. I've got some ideas. I think there's some scenes maybe that uh, make sense. But I got that pretty strong. And so uh, self-loathing, secrecy developed pretty quick. And so I tried to compensate by trying to appear all together when I was with people. And this was pretty unconscious as a kid. Uh, my false self tries to be good so that you'll value me. It tries to be smart, reliable, uh, be in control. That's a big one. I, it, it, Jen could tell you that one. I, man, when we first got married, I needed to tell her the right way to cut the onions, and I was not joking. She, she did not appreciate that. Uh, I have to, I, part of this is I have to look... Uh, to protect myself, I feel like I have to think through everything from every angle to stave off disaster and pain. So I will overanalyze and look at everything. Uh, I can be defensive because I feel like I need to be right, be secretive because I can't let you know the real me because you'll reject me. You kind of get the idea. Um, I've had the privilege over the years to uh, lead out in uh, our sexual recovery and health group uh, that we have here uh, called Pure Desire Group. So we partner with a ministry called Pure Desire Ministries uh, for material and and training to help folks who are looking to find healing and freedom from their unwanted sexual behaviors and from the trauma, betrayal of other people's addictions. Uh, I've been proud to be a part of that. And uh, even though uh, when, I, when I started leading my first few groups, I was the leader, and I had been many years uh, sober and uh, had experienced freedom from my own uh, journey with addiction to pornography. So it's a part of my story. It makes sense if you kind of understand some of the contours of my false self, how that could develop. But I had experienced freedom for a while, but I was shocked 
I, I, was, I was genuinely shocked at when I got into these groups and we're going through this stuff together and I'm doing the work along with the guys um, and I needed healing too. Way more than I thought. I thought I had taken care of that stuff. And this is me as a pastor, as an adult. This isn't that many years ago. Um, again, uh, the strongholds of my false self. Uh, so even though the behaviors on top, I'd gotten some control over that, gotten some freedom there. The, the false self that was underneath, the deep stuff, the messages that drove those, the things that I thought I needed to do, even just knee-jerk, by default, unconscious, to make life work apart from God, those were still down there. And so uh, as we would dive into the material, I, I was... I was leading this thing and I was supposed to be the guy and there were parts where we would come to where you needed to open up and share some of the stuff you thought you would have to take to your grave. And I didn't want to. I was afraid. And it was very difficult for me. But as I, as I did that along with the guys, I experienced love. The thing that I was most afraid of that was still operating down here, that if others knew the things about me that I hide, that I'm most ashamed of, that if they even knew that stuff, they wouldn't like me and they would reject me. I went there and they didn't. I experienced the truth of God's love for me in community. I had to experience it from others to really know that it was true. I've known that God loves me for a long time. Um, they kept loving me, kept being present with me, kept encouraging me to take off the old and put on the new, held up the mirror in loving ways. And it's, uh, it's changed me. I thought I was already good. It's changed me. Uh, ben Deaver and I, kind of as I, I head down the end here, Ben Deaver and I, uh, he was the uh, leading worship over here. Uh, we've, we've done ministry together for, since 2008, uh, we've, we've gone through a lot together. And uh, he, he helped me co-lead that first pilot group of uh, seven pillars of freedom for men. And so he was with me as I was doing some of this work. Um, and he knew, I think before, but also especially through this time, that one of the biggest things that I needed to take hold of, to put off and put on, was to believe that I was loved. Indeed, my name, that you can see it on my shirt, David means Beloved. It's my name, but I didn't believe it. And so uh, every so often, even to this day, Ben will call me in, in person or on Slack. He'll call me Dave the Beloved because he's reminding me who I am. I need community to remind me who I am. And this really helps. This is stuff we can do with each other. You don't have to be a part of a relatively intense, concentrated form of community like Seven Pillars, although that could be really sweet. This is Christian community where we are called to find ourselves as we love and experience God's love for us in community. We can really find our true selves in community if we're willing to take a step. So as the band comes up, who knows the real you? Who knows the real you? Does anyone know? Do you have anyone who really trusts you enough, or that you trust enough to speak into your life? If you're not uh, in the context of a small group, I'd say that's a great next step. Go check out the board, check out online, jump into a group. That's something you can do. Put yourself where community can happen. 
If you are uh, like me, uh, recognizing that you need to take, you want to take some next steps in your own healing journey uh, with your own uh, sexual behaviors or uh, stuff connected to your sexual health, I encourage you to, to contact me if you're a man, uh, uh, and if you're a woman, contact Jen, and you could get on the uh, wait list for the next group. We've got uh, another seven pillars around that uh, Chuck and I are going to lead uh, starting this month, so it could be a great time. Get connected to a group. If you're already in a small group, I'd encourage you, practice, we're going to get it, being a minister. This can be really simple. You don't have to be a professional minister to be a minister, right? The whole body builds itself up in love when we care for one another. Come to, to group, having prayed the prayer on the way, God, show me someone who I can build up. See how he would encourage, or he would, uh, he would use you to encourage someone. I promise he will. Maybe you need to practice speaking more boldly words of truth and life and love to one another in small groups. Maybe you're the one that needs to be more vulnerable and accept words of truth and life and love from others. Maybe you need to practice uh, engaging more deeply with one or two and taking leadership in that way, opening up yourself, opening up your life and see what God would do. What's your next step in finding your true self? in community. I'm actually curious. Don't say it out loud, but my hope is that you would all have an answer right now. Do you sense a step? What would be a next step you could take to find yourself more truly in community? Uh, Today we're going to, um, to conclude together by celebrating communion. Uh, something we do from time to time. It's been, it's, uh, been a minute, I think, we're, so we're excited to do it today. Those who trust Christ, those who put your trust in him and are found in him, this is for you. We all are members of one body, and so uh, we'll have one loaf of bread that we break and one cup that is distributed among a few. And this symbolizes that we are all a part, we all partake in one Christ whose body and blood was shed for us so that we can take off the old self. We had no ability to take that off apart from Christ. But through his work on the cross, we can put on the new self that he is giving us as a free gift in Jesus. We can keep taking off and putting on. So if you've trusted Christ... This is for you. So what we're going to do uh, in a minute here is we're going to uh, stand and we're going to come to the middle. So through the, the middle two aisles, we'll form two lines. There'll be two little stations here and then we'll, uh, we'll exit out the sides. And we're going to experiment uh, with a, uh, another kind of uh, uh, a method, a, a communion method. We're, we're going to do intinction. So otherwise known as the rip and dip. So uh, you'll come up and you'll uh, tear off a piece of the bread and you'll dip it in the cup. And then on your own, whether on your way back or at your seat, you'll take it. And as you do, remember that Christ's sacrifice for you, his very body and his blood for you, uh, you take it as a part of yourself and make it a part of yourself. That He's made a new way to you or to God uh, available to you. So uh, go ahead and come now uh, as the band starts and use this as a time of uh, celebration as well as reflection. God loves you and we celebrate that. This teaching was recorded by Tallgrass at the Well. 
We're building community together by inviting people into the way of Jesus. For more resources like this, visit tallgrassatthewell.church.